What's up everybody? Tara Wellman here back with another series preview for you on this holiday weekend as the Cardinals head to Miller Park for the second time on the year. Now the Brewers and the Cardinals are three and three in the season series so far, but neither team has held on to home field advantage. The Cardinals won two of three in Milwaukee, and then the Brewers won two of three in St. Louis. But the Brewers have a little bit of history on their side heading into this series. They're off to the best 50-game start in team history. Not too shabby. So the Cardinals have their work cut out for them if they want to cut into that four-game lead that the Brewers currently have over them and the rest of the NL Central. But a lot of things have gone on since we last saw the Brewers. The Cardinals and the Brewers, maybe more than most teams, have shuffled the deck a time or 12. So to sort through all of that and catch up on all things Brewers, I'm happy to welcome back to Bird Seeds, Kyle Schneski. Well, Kyle, first of all, thanks for joining me for the second time and on this holiday weekend, nonetheless. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Always look forward to an opportunity to chat with you and talk a little bit of baseball. Well, the Brewers are pretty fun to talk about right now, so you've got that going for you. I saw a tweet from you the other day that just basically said, this team is really special. What is it, other than obviously leading the division uh, on Memorial Day weekend, that makes them so special to watch right now? Um, it, it just feels like... And there's not really a way to quantify this kind of stuff, but it just feels like there's not any quit in this team. And um, they've had a lot of, like just in this past series with the Mets, they had two games where they came back from deficits of like three runs or greater. And um, they've got four or five walk-off victories already this season. And um, they've just been really excellent in, in close game situations and have, and the offense has really kind of turned it on here in the last few weeks to to pick up the pitching that has been really solid throughout the course of the season. So um, we're, we're starting to see now, I think, the offense that everybody thought we would kind of see when the season started just took everybody a little bit to get going. And um, now with the way that they've been playing lately and the, the way that Craig Council has kind of been pushing his different buttons, it just, just feels like there's good things going on this year. It's interesting um, that you mentioned Craig Council and, and sort of pushing the right buttons, because it does seem like um, he's doing things that are, are a bit unconventional as far as how he's trying to manipulate the pieces that he has to create the best possible team. Um, and it seems to be working so far. What has been the most impressive part of how Craig Council has taken all of these at times, it seems like kind of mismatched pieces and turned them into this machine that's winning so many games. Um, I think the most interesting thing and the most impressive thing that Council has been able to do this year has been the way that he's managed the pitching staff. And, um, you know, coming into the season, that was kind of what everybody's biggest worry about the Brewers was, was were they going to have enough pitching? Specifically, were they going to have enough starting pitching? And um, I remember, you know, when we talked uh, closer to the beginning of the season, I kind of said that as long as the Brewers starters can get through five, six innings or so and give up around three or four runs that, you know, they should be able to bridge the gap to the bullpen and, and have the bullpen and the offense be able to pick them up. And uh, so far through the season, that's been pretty much how things have played out. Uh, their rotation right now has like a 4.19 cumulative ERA, which is like number 16 in baseball. So they're right there, right around the middle of the pack. And 
Um, obviously, baseball's number one bullpen right now. And um, Craig Council actually had a really interesting interview the other day with uh, Tom Hardricourt from the Journal Sentinel and talked about the way that he managed his pitching staff and how the way that the organization looks at it is it's how many outs can you get and how many batters can you face per start versus the old adage of, well, let's get everybody to 100 pitches and that's kind of where we'll pull the plug. Um, Craig Council's really been more so focused on matchups and avoiding that dreaded third time through the batting order um, kind of split. And um, so I just the other day in a start with Junior Guerra was through six innings on 72 pitches, had given up only two runs, and they pulled him out and turned it over to the bullpen. Guy could have you know probably gone another two innings at at that rate, but um, Craig Council is is managing almost on a game by game basis to win each game individually. And the way that they've managed their bullpen in shuffling up arms constantly from the minor leagues means that they've been able to avoid, you know, the overusage that everybody's been kind of worried about and, and keep these guys fresh throughout the season while the bullpen itself has managed a, a pretty large workload. And I think that's been really impressive to watch. It's so fascinating to me to see something like that. Um, I mean, baseball as a whole is typically very resistant to these sort of newfangled ideas right. and, and sort of redefining roles, right? Because, you know, most starters in baseball want to be the guy that goes seven or eight innings every five days. So then you mm -hmm. take these starters and tell them, that's great, but you're only going to go five. And that's just right. how it is. It, it seems like a scenario where there could be some resistance to that. And not only from the players, but look, <laughs> the Cardinals put... Jack Flaherty, uh, the, one of their rookies, out um, in the eighth inning the other day. He threw 120 pitches to get through seven and two-thirds. Mind-boggling, but that was That's actually their plan. They said afterwards, like, that was our mark, 120 pitches. So to go from that philosophy where they're like, no, right. he's, he's this durable guy. He, can, he wasn't throwing under any stress. He can throw 120 pitches to the flip side where Craig Council's like, nah, you're throwing a, sh a shutout on 75 pitches in the sixth inning? Cool, that's great, you did your job, move on. Um, I just think it's a fascinating change of pace and something that I feel like a lot of teams have sort of talked about, but no one's really been bold enough to do it the way that, that Council has. Yeah, I would definitely say the the way that the Rays have been handling their pitching staff this year has obviously been very interesting to kind of watch yeah. and has raised a lot of eyebrows through the game. Um, but I would think, you know, besides them, I guess I can't really think of a more progressive organization the way that they're handling their pitching right now than, than the Brewers. And for the most part, it seems like everybody's kind of been buying in. And um, I guess the only time I can specifically think of any quotes or anything after, um, after a game was earlier in the year, um, Chase Anderson was in a start and the Brewers at that point had yet to have a starter complete seven innings at all, which has actually only happened two or three times, I think, for the team this year. Um, but he was through six and two-thirds, shutout innings, um, had only 87 pitches, and Craig Council came out and pulled him, and Chase Anderson, after the game, was like, well, I definitely wasn't expecting that to happen there, but, you know, Council liked the matchup, I guess, so it, it ended up working out. And I think that if the team wasn't having as much success as they were, you know, it might be a, a little more resistant to that. But just the fact that everybody seems to be playing at a higher level because of how they're being utilized, I think is helping the team kind of come together and buy into this sort of different and, you know, new philosophy. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the Cardinals are in a situation where very shortly they're probably going to have six, if not seven, guys that should theoretically be starting in the major leagues. So there's been some talk about creative ways to work all of those guys in, whether it's um, you know putting one of those starters technically in the bullpen, but sort of pi- piggybacking starts with some of the young guys so they don't throw as many innings. Um, and, and the sort of overriding theme is, well, we don't really want Mike Matheny going out there and pulling Alex Reyes in the sixth inning when he's pitching a gem. But the council philosophy is, well, that was his job. He did he did his job. We can right. move on and let someone else do their job now, which I think is is really interesting. And when you have the kind of bullpen that the Brewers have, when you have Josh Hader and Jeremy Jeremy Jeffers, <laughs> when you have some of those guys, you can uh, you can be a little bit creative and have that sort of confidence uh, in your bullpen. Let's talk a little bit more about that bullpen um, because it seems like no matter who fits into what spot, everything's working. <laughs> Yeah, and that's been that's been the overriding theme um, for the Brewers this year is everybody just goes out and uh, Dan Jennings, one of the um, one of their left-handed relievers, the other day was you know a lot of guys have been more used to being in roles in the past, but now that none of us know specifically when or what situation we're going to go into in a game, it kind of keeps everybody on their toes, and and the overriding theme is that everybody wants to do their job. And that's after every game, it's like, well, Jeffers came in and did his job and Jennings came in and did his job and Hayter came in and did his job. And and that's kind of what everybody is focused on, regardless of where they're pitching in the game. They're just trying to get outs. And Craig Council, I think, has done a really, really good job of convincing these players and getting them to buy in that, you know, outs in the sixth inning are just as important as outs in the ninth inning, depending on the situation in the game. So. That's why um, a guy like Jeremy Jeffress, who has pitched, I want to say, like 25 consecutive scoreless appearances, just tied a Brewers record um, in his last outing. Uh, they they kind of refer to him as the starter's closer because he's been the guy that they've called on a lot in those fifth and sixth innings when you know maybe a guy runs into a wall and all of a sudden there's two runners on base and it's a close game in the fifth inning. And Jeremy Jeffress is a lot of times the guy that'll come in and put out that fire. And um, he's a guy who's been a uh, you know, capital C closer in the past and getting a guy like that to kind of buy into this sort of mindset and, and um, you know, thrive in a role that, that obviously is different from, you know, what he's been used to in the past is, um, you know, just another testament to the way that Craig Council has been handling this, this pitching staff this year. If you had to say who's been better between Josh Hader and Jeremy Jeffress, is it possible to split that somewhere and put one over the other right now? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely difficult because, I mean, you, you look at Jeffress and the way that he's prevented runs, obviously he's given up like one earned run all season. And the way that he's getting those outs, I guess, probably doesn't point to that being sustainable, obviously. Um, doesn't have quite the, the strikeout rate, and he'll, he'll walk a guy here or there. Um, but uh, the way that Hayter just has come in and, I mean, every outing essentially is just coming in and dominating. He struck out almost 18 batters per nine innings this year. Um, I want to say last I saw... Of all National League pitchers, he was number 12 overall in strikeouts, and he was the only guy that was a relief pitcher on that list. Um, it's not too so it's, you know, it's been just both of these guys. It's just been incredible to watch, and um, you know they're getting really strong performances out of out of other guys too, like um, 
Taylor Williams and Dan Jennings and, and Matt Albers has kind of been an unsung hero in this bullpen as well. And, um, you know, like, like I said, it's just everybody coming in and doing their jobs. And I think that as a unit, the way that their mindset is makes them almost better as a unit than it does just as individual pieces. Now, the last time we talked was right after the Corey Knable injury. Um, so this time I, I threw it out on Twitter, told some people to send in some questions. I'm going to throw a few of those at you. One of them had to do with that um, and the fact that since Knable came back, he's he struggled a little bit here and there. Um, and the question is, with his struggles and how good Hater has been, is there any temptation to put him in that ninth in a more defined role? I'm guessing no because of the creativity of Craig Council, but at some point you might feel like, okay, if anyone can if anyone can be that lockdown guy, maybe it's Josh Hader. Yeah, and you know, Craig Council throughout the entire year has kind of downplayed that closer's role. And, you know, we saw when Knable was out, they had four or five different guys that recorded saves during that, you know, four or six week period or whatever it was. Um, so he's, you know, certainly not opposed to going to different guys in that situation, depending on, you know, what the game dictates. And he is, his quote these last few days has been, the bullpen is better with Corey at the back end of it. So I, I don't anticipate them making a change from that anytime soon. And if they do want to lock in a guy in that ninth inning sort of role, I definitely don't think that it's going to be Josh Hader. Um, just the way that they've used him as as sort of that bridge has just been so incredibly valuable for the team this year. And um, I want to say like all but two of his appearances have been for more than one inning, and he's got 12 appearances so far this season that have spanned at least two complete innings. And uh, I want to say right now he's on pace to throw the most two-inning relief appearances since, like, Mariano Rivera before he was the Yankees' closer. Um, so, I not, mean, we, we haven't either. seen yeah, we <laughs> haven't seen a guy used in the way that Josh Hader has been used in 20 years. So I, I don't think that they're really even considering moving him out of that role at this time. And if it does end up being that they want to get away from Knable as the closer, I think it'll kind of morph back into that sort of by committee situation that they had before where we would see a lot of times maybe Hader would come out and start the eighth inning. And, you know, if, if he got through the eighth pretty clean, they would send him back out and maybe have him get a two or, you know, two and a third inning save, something like that. Definitely nice to have all of those options when yeah. uh, when your closer isn't maybe quite as locked down as uh, as you expected him to be. Um, moving on from pitching, although I feel like we could talk about this forever, and I'm sure we'll circle <laughs> back to it because uh, we do want to talk about this series with the with the Cardinals specifically. But I'm gonna uh, move on to a couple of those other Twitter questions. Um, and this one, Graham asked, "Why did the Brewers demote Arcia?" Well. <laughs> I mean, I've, I guess, I've always liked Orlando Arcia, and I think that a lot of people, when he first came up to the Brewers, maybe had some unreasonable expectations for him, just because they saw that, you know, number six overall prospect next to his name, or wh whatever it was when he came up, was, I, he, at the very least, he was like a consensus top 10, top 15 prospect in the game. But his profile has never really been built around his offensive game. It's always been built around that outstanding glove and his defensive abilities. And, I mean, we saw plenty of that throughout the course of these first few months of the season. I want to say he's actually, like, 
he was the number one or number two player overall in baseball and defensive runs saved when he got demoted. But at the same time, he was hitting 194. His weighted runs created plus um, was like 35, which is 65% below the league average line. Uh, you could you could really have put together a pretty strong case for him as the worst hitter in baseball, not making any hard contact, putting the ball on the ground an overwhelming amount. He had the lowest line drive rate of any qualified hitter at the time that he was demoted. Um, just really kind of looked lost at the plate. And um, he's got one of the highest rates of swinging at pitches outside of the strike zone in the in the big leagues. And his swinging strike rate was right up there as well. And this is just a, a guy who wasn't contributing offensively. And, you know, even with how strong he is on defense, the negative offensive contributions were outweighing it to a point. And the organization felt that it was the right, the right move to put him down in, in AAA and get him out of the spotlight and let him, you know, maybe work in a less pressure-filled environment to see if he can kind of get back on track that way. Well, at the same time, they wanted to give a little bit longer of a look to a player, Tyler Saladino, who they acquired um, just in like a minor trade for cash considerations with the White Sox a little earlier this season after um, one of their top prospects, Mauricio Dubon, who would probably p be playing shortstop right now, uh, but he tore his ACL in a AAA game in April. So um, Saladino came up and he hit close to 500 for the first week worth of plate appearances that he got. So they figured they would give him a little bit longer leash. And um, he's been playing pretty well so far. He's actually starting at shortstop today. Uh, the lineup came out a little bit earlier, it looks like. So um, he's looked pretty strong on offense. Uh, I don't think he's going to keep up his pace currently. But if he can be even like a league average bat, that would be quite a significant improvement over what Arcia was providing. And um, he's not a bad defensive shortstop either and came up as a shortstop in the minor leagues and has put together some pretty good fielding numbers at that position throughout his career. So um, obviously somebody that the organization likes. Um, I guess it's worth remembering that Arcia isn't a player that uh, the David Stearns regime went out and got. They inherited him from the previous regime. So, you know, there's, there's always that little bit of kind of bureaucratic stuff. Um, politics even in the workplace, even in baseball. But um, I guess I don't expect this to be a super long demotion for Arcia um, as long as he can kind of get his bat back a little bit on track. Um, I just think it's, it's for the time being, it's probably more so of a riding the hot hand situation with Saladino and, and seeing if Arcia can kind of bounce back a little bit against a less pressure-filled environment. And those uh, top prospect expectations can be just brutal on on some guys who come up and don't live up to that instantly. Yeah. Graham, Graham followed up with another very pointed question because that's what Graham does. Uh, his second question was, why haven't they traded Keon Broxton yet? <laughs> um, well, coming into the season, the, the Brewers' biggest thing was all this depth that they had. And um, obviously a big part of that was in the outfield. And the big question was how, well, how are they going to work all these outfielders and this and that. And, you know, so far in the season, Christian Yelich has already been on the disabled list. Ryan Braun's been on the disabled list twice. They haven't really had any issues finding playing time for any of these guys. And um, there's been opportunities for Keon Broxson to, you know, have come up to the major league level. They've opted to go with Brett Phillips for those few opportunities instead. But I think that is more so of a performance situation. And as much as Keon Broxson really isn't lighting the world on fire right now down in AAA and 
Um, playing in Colorado Springs, that's a, obviously one of the most friendly offensive environments in all of baseball, let alone minor league baseball. Um, and I want to say he's got just right around a league average slash line, maybe a little bit less. He's still striking out in 35, 40% of his plate appearances, which was always the biggest bugaboo with him. And, um, I mean, if, if Lorenzo Cain, for whatever reason, were to go on an extended disabled list stint this year, I think that, um, Keon Broxson would probably be the guy that they would call up in that situation as a right-handed bat and a, a true center fielder. Um, but for the time being, they just he hasn't really forced the issue, so it, it hasn't really come up at all. And I don't know that you're going to deal a guy like that for anything of, of note that would make it more worthwhile than just holding on to him for the time being, at least from the organization's standpoint. Sure, sure. That, the challenge, I think, when you have this area of depth, whether it's outfield or, or pitching or, or whatever it is, is trying to figure out how to make all of those pieces beneficial, even if they're not all at the major league level at the same time. Um, the Cardinals have been in a similar situation. In fact, with outfielders, uh, there are too many outfielders for not enough spots, and, and you just try to move them all in and out as you can. And, and uh, you don't want to trade them off just because you have them, um, because you want to create value in, in return as well. Um, offensively, we've mentioned that this Brewers team has really finally started clicking. Um, a number of guys have been contributing to that all up and down the lineup. You mentioned Lorenzo Cain, pretty solid uh, start to that lineup. Um, one question, though, was actually about uh, Jesus Aguilar. And uh, the question is, with his play lately, do you think he gets more playing time than Thames when Thames is back from the DL? Um, I certainly think it'll be interesting to see how they kind of divvy that all up. Um, obviously, Jesus Aguilar is, has been sort of a revelation at first base for them this year. And I mean, he was he was good last year, but it didn't look exactly like the way that he succeeded last year was going to be sustainable. He had, you know, a 30 plus percent strikeout rate and um, he's a bigger, bulkier guy, not very fast and somehow was still able to produce a, a 340 batting average on balls in play. Um, so I, I guess I wasn't very high on him coming into the season, but he's exceeded all of my expectations. He um, has drastically cut down on his strikeout rate without sacrificing any of his power or, or um, his walk ability and is still putting the ball in play at a, at a very high rate. Uh, he's got over a 300 batting average right now, which I certainly did, didn't see coming. Um and you know the the prodigious the prodigious power, and he's been lighting the tearing the cover off the ball this month. And um, you know, I, I mean, it it's interesting because Eric Thames at the same time was hitting extremely well when he went on the disabled list as well. He's got you know over a 970 OPS on the season as well. Had seven home runs for his through his first 22 games before he tore that ligament in his thumb. And um, you know, Craig Council is is the manager who he'll find playing time for everybody and he's not afraid to kind of think outside the box in ways to get guys playing time and um, Eric Thames played some outfield last year and I'm I'm sure that they'll consider giving him some playing time in the outfield this season to get his left-handed bat in the lineup and um, Jesus Aguilar has been a, a first baseman for the large majority of his career and started a game at third base earlier this season for the Brewers. So I guess there's some modicum of positional flexibility there too. So, I mean, there'll be plenty of ways that they'll figure out to get these guys different at bats in the lineup and, and play the hot hand. And I think a lot of it'll be um, matchup based. And I think we'll probably see Eric Thames get a lot of playing time against right-handed hitters. Um, but I'm sure that they'll, they'll figure out a way to get Aguilar in there pretty regularly too. 
Now, I did say we would circle back to pitching. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the matchups for this series. Uh, game one will be Luke Weaver against Brent the Raptor Suter, which we discussed last time. Uh, then Michael Waka against Zach Davies, who has had one start, I think, since returning from the DL. Uh, and then that third game, I think, is what will draw everyone's attention, assuming you actually have Facebook and can watch the game, uh, because it'll be Alex Reyes against Junior Guerra, who made his first start against the Cardinals, and we talked a lot uh, about him, and you've um, <laughs> kind of claimed him, I believe, but this yeah. Alex Reyes versus Junior Guerra game should be very interesting. Uh, one Twitter question came from Joe over at Birds on the Black, and he, he said, will the entire lineup ask counsel for Wednesday off because Alex Reyes? <laughs> Jeez, boy, I wouldn't be surprised. And uh, Alex Reyes is somebody that I've personally been following pretty closely for the last few years. I'm in one of those. Um, I don't I'm not big into like fantasy sports or anything like that, but I've been doing a uh, it's like a dynasty league fantasy baseball thing for the last four seasons. And um, the first year I drafted Alex Reyes and have had him kind of stashed on my minor league list and on the disabled list for the last two years, just kind of eagerly anticipating when he's going to come back from the surgery. And, you know, what is it? 23 scoreless innings with 44 strikeouts over his rehab assignment. Like, Oh my gosh. I mean... <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm invested in seeing how this guy is going to do. And I think that, um, you know, it'll obviously be a really exciting game to watch on on Wednesday. I do have Facebook. I haven't watched any of the Facebook broadcasts yet because uh, I, I think I the only reason I really have Facebook is to share my Brew Crew Ball stuff on their admin page. I really try and avoid that website. Um, but uh, yeah, and Junior Guerra's the the Brewers staff leader by earned run average right now. Um, been a guy that uh, you know I've kind of <laughs> made a lot of my bones on the last couple of years, so it's it's been um, really encouraging for me to see him come up and and be so successful so far. And uh, you know I I guess I wouldn't rather I can't think of a different pitching matchup I'd rather watch on Wednesday. That's for sure. Yeah, if you like pitching, um, that will be the game to watch. If you like offense, maybe maybe not so much. Pick a different game to watch. One of the other two earlier in the series. We'll see what happens there. I guess if Brent, neither Brent Suter nor Zach Davies have been exactly great this season. Um, so, you know, there's a chance that we'll see some offense, at least on the Cardinals side, the next couple of days. Um, Zach Davies, his last time out off the disabled list, only went four innings. I want to say he gave up four or five earned runs, and he was pretty disappointed with, with the way that he pitched after the game. And um, he hasn't been quite as sharp this season as he was last year, was um, one of the best pitchers on the staff last year ended the season with his second consecutive sub four ERA, um, but just kind of seems to have struggled to get going a little bit this series, I guess, historically been a little bit of a slow starter and, um, he's a very command focused pitcher. So sometimes it takes pitchers a little bit longer, uh, of those kinds to get locked in as the season goes on. So, um, I'm sure that stint on the disabled list didn't help kind of sideline him for about three or four weeks with some rotator cuff inflammation. So, um, it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully he can, at least hopefully for us, he can bounce back, um, you know, in his start this week. But I guess it'll be something to keep an eye on. Yeah, and the the back-to-back starts from Weaver and Waka are interesting for Cardinals fans right now because um, Carlos Martinez is still on the DL. With Alex Reyes coming back, when Martinez comes back, 
someone's someone's going to be the odd man out of a rotation mm-hmm. that has been pretty extraordinary so far. Um, Luke Weaver had a couple of rough weeks in the middle there, but he's been pretty good outside of that. And Michael Waka has kind of been sneaky good this year, just very quietly doing his thing, going out every five days. Um, I think they're because of the the nature of his injury a couple of years ago, there are always some concerns about that, but he's just very quietly gone about his business and, and put the Cardinals in a position to win every time out. So um, it, it almost feels like both of these guys are, are kind of pitching for their spot in the rotation, um, which I don't know that that's fair to either one of them based on the success they've had so far this, this season. But, uh, but one of them is likely going to be the odd man out. And um, it, it, it I don't know that it adds any pressure to their starts this week, but it definitely brings a few more eyes to what they're doing and how they're going about doing it um, and and how they could provide value in maybe a different way. So three very interesting uh, games, I think, this week um, in a a National League Central race that I think will continue to be interesting for a a lot of the season. Now, this last question came from Twitter. quite simply says, roof open or closed? Now, I asked for some clarification what the context of that is, where we're going with this, uh, and he basically said, you choose. So this is a choose-your-own-adventure question. <laughs> roof open or closed? <laughs> um, well, with the heat wave that we've had here these last couple of days, um, when that roof is closed inside of Miller Park and it's this hot outside and can feel a little bit like a sauna inside of there, so... I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go roof open for this one. Solid, solid choice. I like the direction you went with that very um, unclear question. So thanks, Jeff, for the <laughs> choose your own adventure. Uh, Ball flies a little better when the roof is open too. So always fun to see. Uh, always fun to see some dingers get out of there. There you go. There you go. The Cardinals' offense has not had a whole lot of those lately. Although I think. Uh, there are a few guys on this Cardinals roster that seem to like hitting in Milwaukee. So I don't know. We'll see what happens there. (laughs) But Kyle, anyway, thanks for joining me again today. Um, I think these two teams are going to be going at it uh, pretty closely for a lot of the season. And um, this should be a fun one. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Always appreciate you reaching out and uh, appreciate the opportunity to come on. And, you know, like you said, I'm sure it's going to be a close race all season. We've got a lot of a lot of good teams here in the NL Central. I guess it's probably the best division in baseball right now. So be a lot of fun to watch. Well, maybe more to talk about the next time around and uh, we'll see what happens this, one, this time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sounds great. Both of these teams are coming off of come-from-behind wins to close out their last series. The Brewers with the Mets, the Cardinals with the Pirates. But as much as you would like to think that would create some momentum, we all know that's not really how baseball works. How baseball does work, though, is that by Memorial Day, you start looking at the standings a little bit closer. And if you don't believe that the players are scoreboard watching already, well, just go see what Joe Treza said about the Cardinals watching the conclusion of the Brewers game in the clubhouse in St. Louis before they got on the plane to head to Milwaukee. They know that these games matter. They know where they stand in the race toward the postseason. And these are two teams right now at the top of the division who are both trying to reclaim their place in the postseason baseball scene. A lot can change before then, but they could do themselves a favor by playing well this week against this NL Central rival. Thanks again to Kyle for joining me. I hope you all have had a lovely holiday weekend. Many thanks to the families of the men and women of our armed forces, and especially those who have paid the ultimate price. Our thanks, our gratitude, our love. 
all to you this week and every week. I'm Tara Wellman. I'll see you next time.